Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Ride with Royce. Geared to the automobile, a complex mechanism that must be operated by an even more complex entity. Royce on 1500 ESPN. Hi, Matthew Collar in for Patrick Royce here on The Ride with Royce. And uh, I've got some thoughts on the Vikings offensive coordinator situation. They are currently looking with Pat Shermer going to become the head coach of the New York Giants which led to a very strange comment by the general manager of the New York Giants, Dave Gettleman, who said the reason he liked Shermer was because he was an adult. And I think that that was about, that was not even a backhanded jab at Ben McAdoo. I think that was just a haymaker at Ben McAdoo. You do get the sense that he was not well liked. Um, with the, throughout the organization by both players and, and others. Well, the thing with Eli Manning was just baffling. I mean, if you've got a guy who is a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback... Who's, who's the identity around, of your franchise. Right, the face of the franchise, right. and you don't even ask him, can I bench you? Or, like, bring it up to him. Right. You just announce it, that it's going to happen, as opposed to having a conversation with him first. You just blindside this player. I mean, what kind of ego trip are you on to do that? And doesn't it seem like a lot of first-time head coaches have that issue? Yes. That that they are just so overpower-hungry and control-hungry that they mess it up because of that. And I feel like Zimmer almost did that last year. We like, saw it with Brad Childress. Brad Childress was like that a lot in his uh, first, uh, first year or two. And I remember... Basically, he lost the guys like Pat Williams and Antoine Winfield right away. Mm-hmm. Right away. Even though he, I think he ended up being a pretty good head coach. I mean, he went to an NFC Championship game with, with Brett Favre, of course. But he was a good coach. But he he rubbed some people the wrong if way. If you can win a division with Gus Farratt and Tavares right. Jackson, you've done something right. right, at least. It's almost like if you can get out of year two or three without alienating everyone in the organization, you could be the head coach for a really long time and have success. But if not, you're just going to be gone. And that's it sounds like that's what happened with Ben McAdoo, that they would have been okay with a bad year where you lose Odell Beckham and you have no offensive line, but they were not okay with being a giant jerk face and handling the Eli Manning thing in such embarrassing fashion. So that was that was an NBA-esque jab, I thought, by Dave Yes, Gettleman. it was. <laughs> um, so before I tell you about my thought on, on Daryl Bevel, Somebody brings up uh, something really interesting on Twitter about the XFL. We spent a good chunk of our first hour talking about the XFL and Vince McMahon announcing today that he's bringing it back. What do you guys think of this idea? The XFL potentially allowing players who are 18 and older to join. Mm. And so they would not have to play in the NCAA that they could potentially steal some players, some top players from college football. If you're kicked off Alabama, 
then you could go play for these guys instead of having to go to last chance you. Well, let's say let's say Jadavian Clowney. Remember that? Jadavian Clowney, his first two years was unbelievable. And then he more or less played not to get hurt his final year and got like two sacks. Yeah. Still went number one overall. Is an unbelievable NFL player and deserved to be number one overall. He's unstoppable. And uh that was a guy that probably deserved physically to be ready to play professional football before he was allowed to. So maybe if you were 20 years old or something and you had played a couple of years of college and were dominating, you could go make money for a year in the XFL before going up and playing in the NFL. I think if you're asking 18 to 21-year-old kids to be put in that situation, I think you're ask- you're begging for disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that. You know what I mean? It's hard enough, and I we, we we talk about this all the time. It's hard enough for me to sit here and think of guys like PJ Fleck or whoever your your Division One coach. You're in charge of a hundred different eighteen to twenty one year old knuckleheads, and it's your job to make sure that they abide by every single guideline and every single law. I can't imagine having and, to do that as a as a profession. And you heard in that update at, at the top there at Sports Center that Vince McMahon is basically going to own all eight of these teams. Yeah. yeah. So that in that's itself, crazy. I don't. I know Vince McMahon's got a lot of money. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. With him owning all eight teams in the league, like he's so is he basically going to be? I mean, I'm sure he's going to have people like within the organization, the league organization, you know, sort of doing day to day things, but. Is it going to be just entirely funded by him? I don't. I don't. I know he's got a lot of money, but does he have that much money? What's going to determine that probably would be the TV deal. Yeah, and you wonder who'd be willing to go in with him because now everybody is involved with the NFL. You know, you've got yeah. CBS, the Disney Corp, and ESPN. So that'd be your ABC as well, and you have Fox. So what other opportunities are there? And NBC already did. Did the deal with them the first run around with the XFL? So and, would and they want to jump back in? Yeah, yeah, it was a disaster. So would they want to jump back into that? And probably not. That right. the the reason that NBC originally was willing to jump in with Vince McMahon is because they had lost the NFL. Yeah. But now that they have it, it's hard to see. So this would but have they, to be on cable, right? I mean, this well, would have do, to be some cable network. Well, I know like Raw and like Raw is on USA, mm-hmm. which is part of like the NBC Universal yeah, yeah. family. As is Sci-Fi Channel now, which is what carries SmackDown, I believe, or it might they might they might be back on USA. I haven't I've been been sharp on my wrestling following the last year or so, but I I, I don't know that that might open things up for it too. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes with that. Okay, real quick on the offensive coordinator. Now I I've, I've got some ideas of what I think I would like to see the Vikings do and what be smart. Uh, but Daryl Bevel is just a flat no for me. Because if you called the worst play in the history of the NFL, I, I just can't have you. You might have a great career. You may have gotten a lot out of Russell Wilson and, and dialed up some great stuff in Seattle. Hold on, though, because I, I, I agree with you. And I actually said this what, yesterday or the day before, mm-hmm. whenever it was mentioned. I said the exact same thing, but I got a number of tweets that said Pete Carroll over... Uh, he, he, he overrode it. Yes. That Pete Carroll's the one that said, we need to pass, you're not a run. But... Who knows if that's the case or not? I agree with you on that call, and I actually don't. Have, and I, I thought Daryl Bevel did a decent job when he was here, but I don't have any interest in him coming back either. Anyone involved, culpability, right? Even if you dialed up a run and Pete overrode you, you, you were still there, right? You had to do it. I'm with you. Yep. I, just, I, I can't have anyone involved with that play. Be, 
Because in Pete, part because of the history of the Vikings. Well, and because <laughs> Pete didn't, did Pete call that specific play? I can't imagine he called that specific play. I could see him saying, no, throw the ball here. Yeah, yeah. And then Bevel ended up being the one to call that specific play that Malcolm Butler picked off. I could also see him trying to jump on the sword because he all, he would have thought Bevel could get head coaching jobs. Right. Because if they win the Super Bowl there, that would have been two Super Bowls for Daryl Bevel, and he would have guaranteed got a head coaching job, and he didn't get one because of that play. So if every team with a job opening did not hire him because of that play, then I don't need him as the office. So because there is so much uncertainty surrounding the Vikings quarterback situation, are they better off to go with somebody that's established, or are they better off to go with a guy, that next up-and-coming guy that was a quarterback's coach that's looking for his first opportunity, a Stefanski type, or maybe from a different organization? Because this team is ready to win right now, what is their best route? I I think this is really hard to know because you could look at somebody and say, like Ben McAdoo, his name has been thrown out there, and you could go, ha, that clown, he just completely botched everything in New York. But you would have said the same thing about Pat Shermer after he yeah. left Cleveland. You would have said, wait, the guy who went 9-23, and we're going to make him our OC? I would have had an interest in Todd Haley before he took the Browns job. Yeah, but he's the guy that didn't call for a quarterback sneak with his six foot six quarterback on fourth and one and instead threw the ball 30 yards down the field. True, but those offenses have been extremely they productive have. They have. the last couple of years. And he's another guy that Zimmer Zimmer likes the guys that were head coaches. Uh-huh. And he brings them into the mix, and then they have success. I think where you are in this organization's just trajectory, you probably can't take a risk on someone who hasn't done it before. Yeah, that That's yeah. the tough part is... Sometimes you just hate to have a retread guy who's failed in another place, or especially something. when there's when you don't, you're not 100 percent sure who your quarterback's going to be next year. Right? You want you want somebody fresh or somebody who's going to be able to work with a new quarterback or new ideas that people haven't seen before. But at the same time, you're you're almost in a situation where if that blows up in your face, then you've ruined the entire Mike Zimmer era over the offensive coordinator. I mean, that's what I wrote today for our website is this decision, I think, is more important than the quarterback for who you have as the OC mm-hmm. because the difference between Teddy Bridgewater, Alex Smith, Case Keenum might not be that much, but it's all about whether you can maximize their skills. So let's take a break. If uh, if you got thoughts on the offensive coordinator, I do want to switch gears with you. Do we have Kevin Seifert? Kevin Seifert next. Okay, yep. all right, yep. great, great, great. He can give us an update on this and on the XFL when we come back. Matthew Collar in for Patrick Royce. Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert. Here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's NFL Nation reporter Kevin Seifert, presented by Mystic Lake. Wait, I, I'm sorry. I, I must have misheard that. I thought that. Why doesn't it say XFL reporter Kevin Seifert? Is there. I believe that'll change in 2020. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, Kevin, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, we'll see if there's a uh, XFL team in the bold north. I don't know if that uh, is going to be a place where it's uh, it's put or not. We shall see. Uh, okay, so what was your reaction then to Vince McMahon's press conference today announcing that the XFL would be back in 2020? Well, I mean, I. I I was surprised, actually, because he kind of, you know, he pushed it hard, back uh, and hard away from what the original XFL was, which mm-hmm. was kind of a raunchy, um, you know, no-holds-barred, you know, get-after-it, uh, be-uncomfortable type of, of event. And now 
He wants us to be. He wants the new XFL to be very family oriented. Uh, no politics. No um, criminals. Nobody associated with a crime. Nothing. Uh, no cheerleaders. No halftime. Just great football. And I was surprised that um, that was the tact he was taking. Um, but maybe that's where the market is. Maybe that's where his analysis. I mean, he can't deny he's a pretty good businessman and marketer, but. Uh, that leaves it to them to basically their product will be their football has got to be great. And that's really hard to do. And that's been the reason that every other league that's ever tried to compete with the NFL has failed largely because the football just wasn't good enough. So I've been seeing just today on Twitter, lots of different ideas of what this thing could be. Someone brought up letting players that were over 18 play in the league who didn't Mm want to play in the NCAA. Um, I I also thought about making it more reality show and telling the background stories of the players and focusing on that kind of like your American Idol would do as opposed to the quality of the football, just like the quality of the singing on American Idol is, eh, right? (laughs) But but people watch because they like the people, right? Yeah. Well, um, you so, youngsters are always uh, watching those shows. Uh, yeah. Well, I learned from Judd, basically, on, <laughs> on those go. shows. Uh, he's yeah. so focused on it. But, I mean, it seems to me like some of the stuff he said today, you kind of eye roll at, but there is some potential opportunity here. Yeah, and I and the, probably the best thing that he said is we want to reimagine football. We want to reimagine the whole idea of a pro sports league. And, you know, there's a lot of ideas we've all talked about um, of ways to address the game and ways to – Pay for uh, the you know pay for the game without having it lead to three minute commercials every five minutes and a fifteen minute halftime and you know maybe there's a lot of alternate ways that he could come up with um, with staging a game and and producing a game that could actually make it more interesting and make it more fast paced and you know some of those are pie in the sky you know the, the NFL would love to have a quicker paced game too but they also want to make a lot of money and they're not going to turn down TV ads. Um, that would that would shorten you know because so they can shorten the game they're going to take as much revenue as they can and I think the NF, the XFL is going to have to do that as well but you know what if they come up with uh, you know what if they ultimately decide that hey let's try doing something closer to the CFL where we have 110 yard fields and they're wider and we uh, maybe that'll you know there's some thought that maybe that could make a game the game safer because there's less people in in a confined area and there's more running and open and open space. You know, what if we try to have uh, 12 players on each side? Or what if we try to, uh, what if we allow people to go past the line of scrimmage before the snap? Or, you know, all different kinds of things that might actually make it fun. You know, they'd have to do a, uh, have a fine line and not bastardize the game um, if that's what the core content is, is the actual game. But there's certainly room for improving the product uh, the, uh, that's on the field in the NFL, and maybe the XFL can capitalize on it. Yeah, I think in uh, maybe best-case scenario for NFL fans is the XFL comes up with a bunch of things that the NFL steals and ultimately makes the NFL better. I, I think that would be the outcome. Yeah. That'd be the outcome that wouldn't you guess if you were saying what's the most likely thing to happen? XFL fails within a year again, but it comes up with fun new innovations for the NFL. Yeah, and competition is always good. You know, I don't know if the NFL would view the XFL as competition, and but uh, it, it's it's better than the alternative which is nothing at all and so maybe maybe they'll 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 light a bit of a fire for them and and some things that were have been in discussion will actually accelerate kevin seifert nfl reporter for espn so we will switch to the minnesota vikings (laughs) now on with uh, me matthew collar filling in for patrick royce i was 
like 50% joking about Daryl Bevel being the offensive coordinator and just the involvement in the non-handoff to Marshawn Lynch. Uh, but yeah. where where do you think the, the Vikings might go with the offensive coordinator decision? Would it be someone very experienced like Daryl Bevel or someone fairly new like a guy that uh, they're going to interview, Sean Ryan, the quarterback's coach for the Houston Texans, someone who hasn't been an offensive coordinator before? You know, he, Sean Ryan's uh, got a pretty good reputation around the league, and, and, and I believe, you know, he interviewed even for a head coaching job or two in this cycle. And so I think there's some sense that he's a rising star. Um, you, 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 at first blush, you'd say, well, Mike Zimmer, defensive guy, you know, he's going to want um, somebody who's very experienced on offense to, uh, to complement the things that he does well. But I also think he learned a little bit from the North Turner experience that you don't just hire a veteran guy and leave him off on his island. You still, as the head coach, have to be involved. And so there's been a lot of – most of the names that have, that have circulated are people who have been coordinators or, uh, you know, prominent uh, assistant head coach type jobs um, and have called plays before. And that would probably be the ideal scenario under, uh, under Mike Zimmer and the style that he, that he has. But – I wouldn't rule anybody out, and I think it's pretty clear that he's that there isn't a favorite right now. There's that he's casting a wide net. He's going to have people come up to the ranch, according to to our friend Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network, and people are going to come and see how they how they can vibe with him and what the chemistry would be like. Uh, so I, you know, I honestly don't think he has a favorite right now. I think he probably had a plan to go after certain people, and maybe has he has an order in mind, but. It's 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 good that I I think that he's casting a wide net and uh, and going to get a lot of different thoughts and ideas and maybe he ends up with the guy he's had here all along, which is Kevin Stefanski, the quarterbacks coach. But uh, certainly he's not uh, just going to hand it to him either. Kevin, am I wrong to think that the offensive coordinator decision is more important than who ends up as the quarterback? Because when I look at the quarterback options. They are all guys who are talented, whether it's Keenum, Bradford, Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins. Those are kind of your top options, right? They're all talented, but they all need the right system, and they all need help to succeed. You have the help in the wide receivers. Pat Shermer found ways to get the most out of the talent around him. I I, I think that's going to determine how much success the quarterback that they bring in ends up having. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I would say that it's more important because you could have a great coach, and if the quarterback can't handle it, you know, it's just no good. Or uh, then it doesn't matter how great the coach is. It's always it always starts with players, in my opinion. But we also know, and, and Case Keenan would be the perfect example. We see guys perform at a certain level, and then suddenly, you know, hitch in with the right coach and the right system at the right time, and all of a sudden they take off, and that. Is exactly what Pat Shermer did with with him, and and what Pat Shermer said, you know, he he did happen this year with Case, and so there's certainly, I, I guess, if I would, what's the most important thing is that whoever the quarterback is and whoever the coordinator is, that there's a there's a smart plan in place for how to use that quarterback, and 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 when you hire a coordinator, you're not going to know yet who the quarterback's going to be, so you have to hire somebody who is really good at adapting to whoever the personnel is it doesn't come in anchored to a particular scheme um maybe they they've been in a lot of different schemes or maybe they're just kind of a um you know a generalist and they take from wherever they need to take and they and they tailor it to the quarterback they have that's what they need because especially knowing that especially being in a situation where they don't have a guy signed for next year yet they very much need a coordinator who 
they feel confident can tailor whatever scheme he might have had background in to the player that they're going to ultimately select to be the quarterback. So I know, Kevin, you'll uh, get asked this, and basically until there's a quarterback in place, but I'll ask you anyway. I mean, who do, who do you have as the favorite? Do you agree with Judd that uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the favorite right now? Yeah, I've been kind of going on two tacks. Like, what do I think should happen, and what do I think will happen? And, you know, I, I was at, before Monday, I felt like I, I had landed on, I think, Case Keenum is who they should make their quarterback next year and who they probably would be. They'd have a hard time walking away from it. But Zimmer was noncommittal on Keenum to the point where it made me question whether he, you know, ever really warmed to him to the point where he would voluntarily commit to him for an entire season. And so I I still don't see how they can how they can sell Teddy um as the as an unquestioned starter for next year and um, not they don't need to sell it to me or to anybody, but even to themselves. I mean, it, it, there's there's a we, we're always left. I guess the best way to put it, we're always left to to read the tea leaves because mm-hmm. no team that comes right out and says, "Here's what we're going to do." And to me, and I know not everyone agrees with this, but to me, if they didn't trust Teddy enough to make him the backup for the playoffs, and were willing to to you know, flip him with somebody who basically was hurt the entire year, then that, to me, speaks to their confidence level in him. I know they love him as a person, and I know they were so impressed with his ability to even get back on the active roster this year, but we're talking about two years of inactivity, and when they, as soon as they had a chance to push him further down the, the, the depth chart uh, with Bradford becoming healthy in the playoffs, they did. And so I don't know how you... you get all those two things together so there i know there's a lot of people who think it's going to be teddy i know judd is one of them um i don't see how you jump from one to the other from having no confidence not having the confidence in him to be the backup in the playoffs to suddenly making him the starter for the following year but i suppose stranger things have happened i've decided that i i really like the alex smith idea that if, if the if the price is a second round pick i mean for a team that has built up this roster to have so much talent you're only talking about a one-year contract to trade away a second-round pick to put him in, as Case Keenum described it, a Lamborghini offense where he could put up another great year, it seems. Yeah, I mean, and they could probably – they wouldn't have to pay Alex Smith as much as um, as they do uh, – as they did – would have to pay Case Keenum. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of – and I know this has basically been the Vikings history for decades, but – of the year to year, jumping from one veteran to the other and band-aiding it, and, and then going have being back at the drawing board. But in the absence of a better idea, maybe that is what they end up doing. If you know, maybe they they don't decide they can't franchise. Or they don't. I think we just lost Kevin Seifert. Oh, no, I wasn't sure. And he was, was right my, uh... in the middle of a thought-provoking answer. So. No, I wasn't sure if that was my headphones or uh, or what that was. That happens in the he world of radio. He was just about to tell you who the quarterback is. Dun-dun-dun! He just found out. We'll have to go to and Twitter and find it out. it went off. Okay, well, sorry, Kevin. Hey, before we uh, get out of here today, I want to talk about a little bit of a Hall of Fame with you guys. Sure. Baseball guys. Let's uh, let's do that soon. Patrick Royce out today. Matthew Collar in here for the Ride of the Royce. All right, Matthew Collar in for Patrick Royce here on the Ride with Royce, and we have 
plenty of sports around the sporting world. Do we not, Johnny? We do. Thanks, Matthew. This update sponsored by Indeed. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates in an online dashboard. Get started at Indeed.com slash hire. Wolves continue their West Coast trip tonight. Last night saw a loss in Portland. They're right back at it against the Warriors tonight. No word. Whether or not we'll see Jimmy Butler, uh, he, of course, has missed the last three games with some knee issues. I have a piping hot basketball take, Manny. Are you ready? Hit me. You can't win basketball games when you give up 43 points in a quarter. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that would that would be hard. Also, when the uh, when your opponent hits like 11 more three-pointers than you do, that, <laughs> that's also problematic. I've got another one, Manny. The Wolves are better when Jimmy Butler plays basketball. That's, that's hot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's steaming hot, yeah. Wild back at it tonight there in Pittsburgh to play the Penguins. They'll have a break after that because the All-Star game is this Sunday. Former Vikings star and Hall of Famer Chris Dolman has had surgery to remove a brain tumor. The beloved Minnesota Vikings defensive end who played for Minnesota from 85 to 93 ended his career as a Viking in 99. Received a flood of support on social media as he underwent the procedure in Atlanta. Dolman was a first-round pick by the Vikings in the 85 NFL draft. He played for nine seasons here. Then spent the 94-95 seasons with the Falcons and 96-98 through 98 with the 49ers. He wrapped up his career here in Minneapolis as an eight-time Pro Bowler. In his career, 150 and a half sacks, 22 coming during that 1989 season when he led the NFL in sacks. He also had eight interceptions and three touchdowns during his career, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2012. All-time underrated football players team. Chris Dolman, the fact well, he that is it, in the Hall of Fame. Well, the fact that it took him a while to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. But it is yeah, that's just kind of how the NFL works. I agree with you. I think he's one of the best defensive ends ever to play. But well, isn't he also one of the greatest trash talkers? Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. would actually go out and do research on your. Well, own. You're, you're thinking of Randall, Randall aren't you? Oh John yeah, Randall. you're. That's but Dolman John was Randall. up there too with t- in terms of uh, talking down to the opponent. <laughs> that that 22 sack season was that the same year Keith Millard had well, like the, the 18 sack season or whatever. Yeah, Millard was the defensive MVP and or uh, yeah defensive 40 MVP. sacks between two guys. Isn't Keith currently having health issues right now too? I don't know. He actually wished Dolman uh, well on Twitter yesterday. I noticed uh, he was assistant with somebody who was he the Jets or Raiders somebody? too for a while. Raiders, yeah. I can't remember who else he he uh, coached with. NFL will salute 15 recipients of the Medal of Honor, the U.S.'s most prestigious military decoration, when they take part in the coin toss before the Super Bowl here on February 4th. World War II vet Herschel Woody Williams, who received the Medal of Honor during the Battle of Iwo Jima, will flip the coin, surrounded by the group of recipients. As great as that is, I feel like the NFL will eventually tattoo a flag on you when you come into the stadium. <laughs> right. Like, as you walk in, they will actually have to, oh, oh, you don't have your flag tattoo? Here, we've got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> like they've gone so far to try to counteract the people who are upset about players kneeling. It's like, what's the most military thing we could possibly do? Right. Tattoo a flag on you. That's what they'll do. Big baseball trade late this afternoon. The Marlins have finished, uh, while dismantling a pretty good outfield. They traded uh, Christian Yelich to the Brewers for a haul of good young prospects. Miami gets outfielder Lewis Brinson, outfielder Marty Harrison, infielder Isan Diaz, and right-handed pitcher Jordan Yamamoto. Somebody, somebody brought up this to me the other day, that the change of perception of Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter Post career has been remarkable. Yeah, like Jeter is now thought of as is the bad guy in Florida yeah. for buying them and then tearing them apart. And Alex Rodriguez is going to be on Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah. Like, I like crazy. that move though with A Rod and Matt Vasquez. Oh, I think that's going to be pretty good. He's good. Yeah, 
He's right. the, he's one of the least likable players of all time when mm-hmm. he was playing, and then on TV, he's really like everybody likes him. Yeah. yeah. Can you guys shut up for a second no, so I can correct myself? Uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Keith, uh, and like you said, his tweet today. Please say a prayer for Chris Dolman. He has surgery today to yeah. remove the brain tumor. A great teammate and friend for the seven years we played together. An awesome person. Thinking about you, buddy. God bless. That's I mean, from uh, Millard. More likely than not, since he played in the NFL for a while and had that catastrophic injury, there's probably some health issue there. <laughs> so you could say the player's 50s got health issues. Like hey, you're probably right. I don't care. Any guy that takes out a Hardy's in Mankato and then tells the cops, my arms are stronger than your guns. That's you will right. always have a soft spot in my heart. Forgot all about You're a that. national treasure, Keith Millard. Tommy Kramer also tweeted just 12 minutes ago, friends thinking about setting up a meet and greet somewhere in the Twin Cities along with Keith Millard. Uh, yeah, never mind. That's not what I was looking for. Hmm. He's, looking to make, he's looking to make a couple of extra bucks, it looks like, doesn't it? <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, I'll, I'll sign that envelope for you, pal. Hey, I'll be over by the Elks Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> at the uh, Farmers Insurance Open in San Diego, Ted Potter Jr., Ryan Palmer tied in the lead at six under in the clubhouse. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, uh, he's playing in this. He's still playing. He's way back there. He's even after 17 holes. So he's six Is this the tournament back. in La Jolla? <laughs> yeah, in La Jolla, California. Got it. Uh, there's, <laughs> there uh, are about uh, 80 people in between he and the leaders. There's a lot of ties, Ooh. obviously. So uh, Got he's some well work back. to do, Tiger. He does. He's even. All right. Well, I'm hoping that he... That he gets back in it, and uh, that at a Masters he is playing and somehow involved in Sunday. I, that's like pie in the sky at this point, but that is my hope. Yeah. So, all right, let me uh, run something by you guys with the Hall of Fame, Barry Bonds, and how people my age handle disappointment with celebrities. When we come back, Matthew Collar in for Patrick Royce. All right, Matthew, call it back for one more segment here. Wrapping up the ride with Royce. I'm in for Patrick Royce. And uh, you guys are in the basic same age range as I am. What are you, what are you Manny? You got a couple years on me? I'm 33. I'll be 34 in April. So you got two years on me. Reavers, you're a little farther down the road. I got about seven, eight on you. I forgot what you said if you're 31 or 32. I just turned 40 back in November. But in in the the 1998 through 2001 era of Major League Baseball, I think one thing we can all agree on, we were young enough to not have been in this business yet when that all happened and uh, Manny and I were pretty young, just getting involved in I was loving sports. Right in the middle of high school, yeah. All right, okay, yeah, perfect. I mean, this is the time where you go from like sort of little kid, teenager. That's when you just love sports the most, and you form those uh, memories forever that keep you coming back, right? And Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and a little bit Bonds, but more McGuire and Sosa with the ninety-eight run to breaking the home run record is one of the most fun things that I've ever seen just with the entire nation gathering behind these two guys, wanting them to beat the home run record, something that had sort of been put up in history as unreachable, untouchable for a long time. And they had great stories, especially McGuire. He had his son with him and, you know, the parents letting us stay up late to watch the home run, the, the one that he hit to clear 61 and that whole thing. It was just so magical and so great. It would have made you love baseball forever. And a couple of years after that, you get punched so hard in the face with all these great players that you watched cheating that I think that people who are our age, they look at what happens today with, say, 
famous people that go down for sexually assaulting women, right? Or or uh, sexually assaulting anyone in Kevin Spacey's case. Uh, we see these people going down. We see famous celebrities, sports stars all the time being taken down by whatever it might be. And I think our generation looks at that as Mark McGuire over and over and over and over and over again. And we kind of have become cynical, but we also handle it, I think, flatly because of it. My reaction is always when something comes out about someone like, I like House of Cards just like the next person. And then all that comes out and they fire Kevin Spacey. And for someone like us, I think we look at it and go, yep, okay. Yeah, oh, someone who was really great and I really enjoyed their work and they turned out to be horrific person. All right. That's Mark McGuire again. Like this guy, you loved him so much. You got behind him. He was your great sports star. And he turned out to be a scumbag cheater. Welp, there it happens again. I think for people maybe older than us or maybe even younger would have trouble, more trouble dealing with people that they really like falling if you didn't have it with McGuire. Because I think McGuire is the all-time legendary example of someone that you just couldn't have loved more and then collapsed because they the fall from grace is yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's happened to many, but that to me is the all time example. Well, and it, and it, it's this part of, and I, you know, baseball is my favorite sport and it's, we get into this debate this time of the year, every single year and it never fails and it will go on forever. And I get both sides of the argument. I get the, the likes of Patrick who have a vote into the guys that get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, not wanting certain... And I don't know if he voted for Bonds or Clemens this year, so I'm not trying to put words into Patrick's mouth, but I know a lot of people that are like Patrick that have covered this this sport for a long time that say, listen, these guys were in clear violation of the rules, and mm-hmm. I, I personally think that they shouldn't be allowed in. The part that bothers me is there is so many critics of the system that's in place that I think are misinformed. The baseball voting system for the Hall of Fame, for better or for worse, gets it right largely about 90-plus percent of the time. You know, look at yesterday. I think the four guys that got in absolutely deserve to get in. Mm -hmm. I also think, personally, that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. However, for the most part, I think the baseball writers get it right. Again, the controversy last year was, well, Ken Griffey Jr. didn't get 100% of the vote. Well, who cares? You got 98 point whatever it was. You're always going to have a couple of those guys that use that as a form of protest. That's a a different subject for a different time. But largely, they they get it right. I think my issue with the Hall of Fame voting is that even though I'm mad at Barry Bonds and I'm mad at Mark McGuire and I'm mad at Sammy Sosa for giving me great moments and then crushing them right after... And I think that they cheated, and I think that they are all-time sleaze for doing so. And none of them needed to do it to be actually good at baseball, which makes me even more angry. I think Sammy did, to be honest. But he was a 30-home run hitter before, but he wasn't a 60-home run hitter. So maybe so he would have been a good Major League Baseball player, an all-star before. But probably not a Hall of Famer. Bonds is a Hall of Famer before, no yeah. questions asked. Clemens right? is a Hall of Famer, no question. Yeah. And, and they did this, so I think that they are all-time sleaze. And could could never be a fan of them or like them in any way, shape, or form. But my problem with what the Hall of Fame voters do is, how do you know about anybody else? Like, if you're keeping people out because they used, how can you put in other guys who may have used 
You just didn't find out. I mean, I just pulled this up, and I like Jim Tomey as much as anybody else. 39 years old. He had over 1,000 OPS, hit 25 home runs in 108 games. And look at the size of that man. And you can tell me for sure that that guy in that era where pitchers were using two, who hit 612 home runs, has a 0% chance of using steroids. I Unless s- you can, then how can you put him in instead of Bonds? But the testing that was in place was pretty... I mean, Jim came up in 93-ish. 93-94, And so, yeah. again, that was at a time where we, we still were turning a blind eye to it. But he played through the steroid era and also performed well after the after Major League Baseball increased and enhanced their testing. So I do believe that he played clean. I really do. And again, I don't have any evidence to suggest that he didn't. So that's what I go All with. All right, I'm not accusing him. I'm only saying that you could make a case for almost anybody who's in there that it would have been possible that they did. And Jose Canseco, for all of his craziness, has never been wrong. And he said there's already someone in the Hall of Fame who used. Well, I'm sure there's more than one. Right, and that's mm-hmm. my and that's my issue is how hypocritical it is to vote in, let's say, I mean, Jeff Bagwell. My gosh. I mean, he got muscles coming out of his forehead. So, like, this, he maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But since we don't know, there's a really good chance that you keep putting in people who use the really, and keeping out the guys just because you're more sure of them. The really interesting test case to me is going to be, and I, so far I've largely agreed with uh, with the process up to this point. However, the biggest test case is going to be when David Ortiz is up for the Hall of Fame voting because he had, did he ever test positive for a Major League Baseball test? No. However, he was indicted in a sealed document, yeah. and and I'm, I'm sorry – he played here. We're all supposed to love David Ortiz, but I don't believe that he played clean throughout his entire career. And, and, right. I just don't. And this is where it gets so incredible. And that's what's going to get. That's that's when we're really going to find out, you know, who has what uh, parameters in place, whether they're arbitrary or not. That's when we're going to find and, out. And I think that Bonds also being a bad dude, like coming across yes. horrendously and being a jerk and, for his whole yeah. career. Uh, is a major part of this too. So it's not just that you used, it's that you used and succeeded too much and broke the records that we loved holding up, for one, and then you were a jerk to us too. It was like the perfect cocktail for you're never getting in the Hall of Fame. But when you look at him as a player, it's a complete abomination that he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's probably the best player of all time. It's kind of for a different reason because I don't think he was using PEDs or anything, but it's like terrible... Terrell Owens not getting into mm-hmm. the Pro Football Hall of Fame right now entirely because of all of the drama that surrounded him everywhere he went. But you look at the numbers and who he was as a player, there's no doubt at all that he should be and, in Canton. And that's why all the venom that's pointed towards the Major League Baseball process, I think, look at football. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me Mick Tinglehoff wasn't a Hall of Famer 20 years ago or whatever? Yeah, come on. I, that, that That's why I always yeah. bring – it's. We we no one ever criticizes the National Football League Hall of Fame process, and if they do, except, except the guys a, who want to get few. in that aren't getting in. Well, that's yeah. just it, and right. I, that's why I have always said baseball, for the most part, gets it right. I like that they have part of the process written in to say about what kind of player you were and what kind of person you were too. Football, I don't think has that, so they just try to kind of decide, and then some use it and some don't. And I think that that should be part of it, but this issue is entirely separate and so hairy that I don't know how you don't end up coming out like a giant hypocrite. Mm-hmm, but no. 
that my my bigger point just being that the way we view sports and the entire world of entertainment was changed because of Mark McGuire and him being a cheater. And Jose Canseco's book. Which has turned out that he's never <laughs> he was been, right. He's never been wrong. Well, thanks, Patrick, for letting me uh, sit in. You guys, Manny and Chris, Kevin Seifert as well, and my friend Brian to talk XFL. I can't wait. Thanks, guys. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.